Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, I'm good, uh, uh, and you should be pleased to know. Um, uh, and listeners, Nia usually likes to know um, uh, this particular factoid about myself. Uh, I am now starting my second 24-ounce mug of coffee, so this ought to be a very entertaining discussion. <laughs> well, I hope not too uh, dramatically entertaining in the sense of um, too contentious, but we... So part of our summer of SCOTUS this year is um, behind the curtain. Yes. It's this sort of, we're looking at things about the justices, not about cases, but about the justices themselves. Yes. Um, we've, we're, we're covering things like the judicial tests they use to determine things, or- um, We're gonna get into qualifications and this idea that only the most meritous of lawyers and judges should make it to the Supreme Court. Right. Um, we're we're going to talk about diversity on the court, the court. Um, or, you know, the heck it, thereof. Um, and one of the most significant elements of diversity, uh, Nia, um, and, and by the way, if there is one question I get from um, lay people about the Supreme Court, is they ask me about the religious affiliations of the justices. I get asked this question all the time. It's fascinating. Right? It's it fascinating is, it, that people assume, one, that your religion will matter to your judicial output. Yeah, judicial behavior, you know, right. the way you roll, the way you vote. Um, it, that's interesting. And it's interesting that it is not a question we ask each other personally. When oh, you no, meet new people, you don't generally say, so what religion do you belong to? Because that's one of those verboten. Yeah, I don't you know. Don't ask you people do. how much money they make. You don't ask how, whether they're happy in their marriage. And you don't ask people what religion they belong to. Yes. Um, you I, it, wait it, for some clue. Yeah, you wait for clues. I, 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 I remember my mom telling me and my sisters, okay, in polite company which kind of sort of begs the question, well, what about what you, impolite? Exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's not the people I hang around with. They're right? impolite. I can ask whatever I want. But she, she would, you know, she, I remember her telling us all the time, impolite company, you never ask about money, sex, and religion. Right. And she goes, and, and these days politics, and she goes, and depending on the audience, you might want to ask about their politics, right? But it's fascinating in regards to Supreme Court justices. Okay, that's like one of the first things people always ask me about. They're like, and, oh, we, and we act like it's a thing we should be able to know about them. Yes, right. When we would not ask individuals yes. these questions. And yet here we are. So, and I think you're right. It is a big part of the overall diversity question that we're going to be talking about because it's, we'll also, touch on later uh, in another episode on um, sort of uh, race and gender yes. diversities or not. Um, yeah, in, in, in the notion of diversity, 
um, has really evolved in regards to what it means for uh, those people confirmed to sit on the Supreme Court. And we're going to get into that in another episode. Right. But listeners, this episode is about the religious backgrounds and affiliations of the 115 people who have been confirmed to sit on the Supreme Court. Can I just say that's weird? What? 115 people. (laughs) Why is it weird? (laughs) Because we've been a country for 250 years. (laughs) And we've only had 115 justices. It really does bring home to you how long they serve. Like they, yes, they serve for decades. They don't serve for years. They serve for decades. And the average length of tenure of Supreme Court justices keeps on getting greater. Okay. It is now almost 26 years per justice. Well, in fairness, um, life expectancy has has lengthened in the United States. And the last few presidents have chosen younger yes. younger justices. It used to yes. be that you were ancient when you became a justice. And yes. people didn't live much beyond ancient, so you didn't... Yeah, I mean, and, and it used to be... But can you imagine you know, it, 26 years with the same group of people? I'd be homicidal. <laughs> and I'm not generally homicidal, but that would be me, tough for me. Me, one of the joys of, of teaching is that roughly every year, I'm going to be exposed to new people. Right. right. New students, new ideas, new, yes, okay. you know, new people with new lives that we haven't explored yet. Well, yeah. yeah okay. That's the so, best thing about academia. Yeah. Right. But, you know, this idea. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk to the same people, nine people. Right? For, yeah, I know when when Justice Thomas uh, earlier this year was was lamenting the the how much he liked the old court better than the new court and he was basically slamming j-rob which i'm not a fan of because i love j-rob um there's a part of me that's like i appreciate your nostalgia but 10 years with the same people would have been terrible like one of the great things about my work is that there's a dynamic sure there's dynamic movement it's sad when i lose colleagues and they move on to other institutions but then i get new colleagues and i learn Yes. different ways of doing things and different ways yes. of thinking so but anyway 115 justices yes how many uh, of them just out of curiosity how many of them have been protestant the overwhelming majority of the justices who've served on the u.s supreme court have been protestant uh 91 uh of the 115 uh and we're talking about various denominations within the category of protestantism okay Uh, can i put out here that so it wasn't excuse me it wasn't until 1960 that we get our first catholic president that is correct because there seems to have been some cultural notion in the united states that catholics would have divided loyalty between the American people and the Pope. That's right. Right. Their papal responsibilities or their yes. responsibilities to the Pope. Yes. Um, and, and I think that Kennedy sort of opened that door and went through it and people went, Oh, okay. Catholics aren't, aren't, you know, they're, they're not commanded by the Pope. 
right? The, the Pope makes yeah. suggestions about their lives, but not commands to their lives. Is that, do you think why we, why we had Protestant justices for so long was a similar sort of feeling that, that well, we'll um, about the Pope and potential uh, influence? Conflict. Well, well, in particular for, for judges, there is a conflict in regards to to what extent does your religion um, make it difficult for you to neutrally apply the law, right? Um, and, I, and there seems to be, throughout our country's history, the assumption that non-mainstream religions, <laughs> okay, um, it would be more difficult for justices of those faiths to be able to do the work of being a judge than Protestant judges, which ironically enough kind of sort of slams both Protestants, but also non-mainstream religions, right? Well, and I would argue that Catholicism is pretty mainstream. I mean, okay, there's a wonking bunch of Catholics in the world. Like Okay, but in this country, okay, we did have uh, a Catholic justice, in fact, um, uh, one of the most prominent chief justices of the 19th century, uh, Roger Taney, um, he was appointed chief, uh, chief justice in 1836. And later on in the 19th century, we actually had two Catholic justices, uh, 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 Edward Douglas White and then Joseph McKenna. But there was a bias against appointing non-Protestants. I mean, Nia, you're, you're familiar with who the first Jewish Supreme Court justice was. Set Brandeis? Yeah, that's right, Louis Brandeis, okay? okay? And he was appointed in 1916. And his confirmation hearing, okay, was oh, just- Oh, I bet that was ugly. I it bet there were some really yeah, really horrible a, things that were said. Okay, there were groups and individuals who basically just came out and said, we cannot have a member of a despicable ethnicity, a despicable race, a despicable religion, i.e. being a Jew, okay, on the Supreme Court. It was yeah, terrible. Well, and in 1916, anti-Semitic sentiment would have been world. yes well and would have been perfectly acceptable to say okay. that publicly yeah perfectly acceptable right because okay. you know um, it's not too far long after that we see the holocaust yes but what's really interesting is overall protestants have dominated um uh, membership on the supreme court until recently <laughs> um and I mean, it was just fascinating when it happened, right? Um, from 2009 to tw 2016, there were no Protestants on the court. None. Really? So that would have been sort of the Catholic and Jewish? All Catholics, all Jews. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, on the current court, okay, um, we have six Catholics, two Jews, and one Protestant. 
And interestingly enough, the Protestant, Neil Gorsuch, was actually born and raised as a Catholic. He converted, converted to the Episcopal faith uh, after he got married. Okay. Oh, okay. But we have six uh, Catholics. Although those aren't a huge far leap from each other, are they? Catholicism uh, yeah. and Episcopalian? <laughs> The, the, I mean, the I'm not trying I, to be ugly. I don't actually know the answer to that, but I think that aren't they relatively related in? Yes, uh, and in fact, in some ways, my, yeah. Many of my Episcopal friends refer to themselves as Catholic light. Ah. <laughs> okay. Well, not to offend Episcopalians listening. No, 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 no. I, again, listeners, I am just reporting what many of my Episcopal friends have said. Okay. Um, uh, you know, uh, it strikes me that of of all the Protestants who've served, you you have in in your notes that one was a Quaker. Yes, and that that seems like that would be very hard as a yes. justice because yes. Quaker Quakers really do have very strong. Um, well, they have strong uh, beliefs about the role of government. Right. About, that's what um, I was trying to get at. Thank you. For and also um, the extent to which uh, modern change can be accepted or adapted into their uh, lives. Because um, they feel very strongly about things like, you know, um, governments going to war. Right. Um, and a, a huge number of our conscientious objectors in the United States are Quaker. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this has been uh, the, the only Supreme Court justice um, uh, scholars have been able to identify who belonged to um, uh, the Quaker faith was uh, Noah Swain. Okay. Noah Swain. Yeah. Um, I, that, that I would see, would, I would see that as being um, so if you, if what you a difficult the, job to have, right, yeah. to, to balance yourself that way. In terms of the breakdowns of the justices uh, who were Protestant or who have been Protestant, 33 were Episcopalians, um, 18 Presbyterians, nine Unitarians, five Methodists, three Baptists, um, two Disciples of Christ. Um, interestingly enough, and maybe this reflects where I grew up um, because um, I went to school with uh, um, a lot of uh, people who were Lutherans, but there, were, there have only been two Lutherans on the Supreme Court, uh, William Day and William Rehnquist. Um, so. Um, yeah, it's, what's, other, what's interesting to me is that there um, have not been yet yes uh muslims no Muslims. people yeah. re religions that have not yet been um represented on the court buddhist sikhs none of the native american faiths um hindus uh mormons right orthodox yeah orthodox christians that's right um George Sutherland um, described himself as a lapsed Mormon. <laughs> um, ah. He was born and raised as, uh, as a Mormon um, uh, uh, out in Utah. Um, in fact, uh, uh, he was our first justice from Utah. Um, oh, okay. Okay, but 
by the time he got to the court, he wasn't practicing. Well, in and fact, you have in your notes that that's a lot of justices, right? That are like, yes, that yes. are like, meh, I mean, I was raised fill in the blank thing, but not particular. I'm not particularly practicing or I'm no longer a particularly religious individual. Nia, you highlight something that a number of scholars have identified as um, a unique characteristic of Supreme Court justices, which is that many of them, as they progressed within their legal profession, and in particular, their judicial careers, became more non-practicing. And some scholars have wondered whether or not they did that on purpose because they didn't want their rulings to be... Oh, to be seen as religious in any way. Yes. Or whether or not the profession itself... (laughs) Sort of (laughs) drives a wedge between you and God. God, right? Which one could argue that lawyers... Yeah, that's that's a complicated... Um, uh, I'm kidding, lawyers out there who are religious. I'm kidding. No, uh, but I but mean, that you, is an interesting question. That if as as if you go through the higher ranks of of the judiciary, does your faith suffer in some faith, way, or, or do you do make you a conscious apart, choice? Right? Do you pull do you away from it? Yeah, I mean, because th- there are certain professions with their training and the nature of their jobs, I could easily see an individual perhaps not necessarily losing faith, but not necessarily practicing their faith as much, right? Right. And and, and not being necessarily critical of the legal profession, but, you know, I interact a lot with, because I have students who apply to law schools, I interact a lot with law school faculty and law school admissions um, administrators. And, you know, they lightheartedly say, it doesn't matter what your major was before you come to law school, we're going to teach you to think like a lawyer. Right. Okay. I don't think it's actually lighthearted. Okay. I think it's uh, there. I think they're like the Marines. Well, they it, break it, you down and make you up as a different person. The Marines tell you that when you join the Marines, they're like, you will not be the person you are now when you are done with Marine Corps training, because we are going to change you. We're going to change you. It, and it, I think it, lawyers, that's the same thing. They teach you how to think in a very specific and somewhat pedantic, I may say, way <laughs> about words. Words matter to lawyers. Like, Yes. The order of the words, what the subclause implies about the main clause, all of that matters to them. So where the commas placed, okay, yeah, etc. Or, or think about this, listeners. In, in Nina, you and I have talked about this um, um, off recording, but think about how difficult it is to be a person of faith and get advanced college degrees, because advanced college degrees um, encourage you to put your trust and faith in science. Right. Okay. Well, and actually try to pull faith out of it. Yes. You should be able to prove a thing. 
Yes. And I imagine that with lawyers, if they say, well, we'll just take it on faith that you didn't that you didn't commit this crime. All the lawyers in the room would drop their jaws and their papers and start yelling. Right. Like (laughs) that's not what we do. What we do is we deal in proof, which is why you they don't really care if you committed the crime. What they want to know is, can I prove you committed the crime crime or can I can I go ahead and prove that the prosecution's claim that you committed a crime, okay, is it, wrong. Is, is wrong, right? And and or is implausible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and and I guess really, that would have that would you're right. That would have a huge effect on that. You would have to really split your yourself yeah, in order to say I have faith in my religion and in my God and. And I require proof in this other part of my life. Life, that's right. Yes. Okay. That would be complicated interests to, to try to balance. And, and again, if you're a judge and you want to have the appearance of impartiality, okay, um, I wonder to what extent, you know, some justices are just like, I no longer practice. I can't practice, right? So it's how like do some, we know? A lot of it is self-reporting. Okay. Some of it is biographical research, right? Um, uh, I, I mean, are they allowed to ask that in the confirmation hearing? Ooh, wow. See, I'm going to give you- Because uh, we are you, not allowed to ask that in an interview. If you came to VCU and, you, one of, you, and somebody in the room yeah. said, what religion do you belong to? The interview would stop right there. The person who asked it would be booted out of the room. The candidate would be told not to answer the question, right? Like, yes. you are not required to answer that question, and we are going to pretend that that didn't happen here because we don't we don't want there to be any chance that there's a religious discrimination issue when hiring. And that's essentially what the Senate is doing with. Well, they're 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 conducting a rather, shall we say, intense. Yeah. <laughs> intense public somewhat bizarre interview process exactly if you were a tree what kind of tree would you be okay you know what (laughs) i don't want this job anymore (laughs) it's interesting you bring this up because uh the most recently confirmed justice for the supreme court just or that has taken office okay well you know at the point that we're recording this podcast episode judge uh, Brown Jackson has been confirmed by the Senate to replace Justice Breyer. But the, the most previous or most recent confirmation, confirmed justice was Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett is Catholic, okay? Um, and this actually came up with both her Supreme Court confirmation hearing, but also her um, confirmation hearing to serve on the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. She was asked about her religion. And the senators who asked got really lambasted, okay, because the United States Constitution makes it very clear that there cannot be any rel- religious requirements for people to serve in the federal government, okay? Right. Okay. I'm glad they got lambasted because lambasted, however you pronounce that. Um, 
because yeah, I've, I've heard that pronounced two different either way, way. right yeah. right so yeah. we'll just say it all the ways um i'm i'm glad they got chewed out ha, there we go um <laughs> criticized <laughs> criticized because that is none of your business a person's faith or or not faith right if they're an atheist yes, yes. That's, i think we've had one atheist in the entire crowd right uh yeah um which who was who's who who went ahead and acknowledged that he was not practicing? Okay, a number of justices said they were no longer practicing. Um, it was uh, David Davis. Uh, oh yeah, and and David Davis, by the way, was nominated by Lincoln, and he was one of Lincoln's best friends. And Lincoln was, by all accounts a very spiritual president, one of the most spiritual presidents we've had in our country's history, okay? But anyways, David back Davis to probably did not, uh, probably did not call himself an atheist the way somebody might do now. Now, that's um, right. Given the time, but I'm, I'm gonna throw out here that I don't think that that should be a question we should ask. I don't think it should be, I don't think that justices should feel compelled to answer. I know that probably part of why that was asked with Amy Coney Barrett was because of this upcoming Dobbs case. And, and, well, the case and she was, and she was replacing Justice Ginsburg and she is Catholic and the teachings of the Catholic faith is that abortion is wrong. So of course she was gonna go ahead and be asked, does your faith influence the decisions you make as a judge? Because if she had said yes, then they were immediately gonna go ahead and say, well then how can you rule impartially on upcoming cases concerning um, abortion or the death penalty? I mean, you know, Scalia, who was a very prominent Catholic, was asked a number of times, um, does your religious faith affect your view of the Constitution? And he said, no, I'm a judge, okay? As far as I'm concerned, the Eighth Amendment prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. When the amendment was written, was the death penalty either cruel or unusual as a punishment? No. So the death penalty is constitutional. See, I have so many feelings about Scalia. Anyway. <laughs> but, but we're but we're not going to talk about that because you're enticing me. I see what you're doing. Um, <clears throat> I do. But I do think it's I'm I'm not sure that I believe it's an appropriate question to ask in an interview. In fact, I don't think it's an appropriate question to ask in an interview. And that's probably in part because I've come up through academia and in interviews here, we don't ask questions like that. We're, there's a whole, in fact, for anybody who's wondering about how we hire, there's a whole subset of questions you are not allowed to ask people. Are you married? Do you have children? What's your religion? You know, like there's a bunch of things you're just not allowed to ask people. And I like that because it's, because the purpose of the interview is to figure out whether or not you have the skills right. to do the job. 
And if okay. those, if you, and I can ask you all the skills-based questions I want. Sure. Dr. Augenbaugh, how many classes have you taught? How many freshmen have you taught? How many young people have you mentored? Blah, 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 whatever it is that I you want. Know, how you do you conduct do? research? Okay, you know, what yep. was your research method? Or, you know, for in the exactly. case of a lot, Case of all, you know, uh, somebody, you know, applying for a job in a library, right? Okay. You know, what kinds of relationships did you have with professors at your previous institution? Okay. Um, a student comes to you with this particular research question. Walk us through the steps that you would engage in, okay, to help them find that research. Exactly. Right? Okay. Totally related to your job and your, your skills. Okay. So that's why asking questions about religion seems to be, uh, and I'm like you, I, I don't understand how it relates to the job of judging, which then would put a premium on some of the criticisms of the questions that do get asked about the judging, right? Because the questions are so leading, no judge in their right mind will go ahead and say, well, in this particular case, I would rule this way. Okay, you can't answer that question because as a <laughs> right. judge, you're supposed to keep an open mind. Right. right. If you answer that question that way, it's that you don't interview well and we don't want you as a judge. Judge, yeah. right? I mean, so, but I, I, I am like you. What I would like to see, okay, is greater diversity of religion, right? But again, I am a proponent of, okay, organizations, okay, get better when they have different kinds of people in the organization, right? And I'm glad you brought that up because it's a point I'd like to touch on, which is because I don't believe in, in asking people about their religious affiliation, I also don't believe that there should be a checklist of we need two Jews and we need one Muslim and we need one, right? Like, 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 I don't, that, I don't think that works either. I think no, that it, that has to be it, an organic. It has to be organic. And, and, and if, for instance, right now we had nine justices and all of them were agnostic, I would kind of sort of ask the question, how in the hell are we ending up, ending up with <laughs> just all these justices being the same? You, right. you want to, you know what I'm saying? And in, 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 in listeners, you're probably I'm glad that we're done with the history of when all the justices were Protestants. Yes, right. Because nobody else could be on the court, basically. In, in, in listeners, uh, you're you're getting a, a taste of what you're probably you're probably going to get a, a, a rather healthy meal of when we do talk about diversity and merit on the court. Okay, because you know, me and I actually subscribe to a very similar view about diversity, which is if we're getting all of the same type of person, okay, we need to go ahead and think long and hard about how we are picking people to do work within the organization. Right? Exactly. Okay. And we need uh, to stop doing that and change it because we, we need, to we change need it. that diversity of thought. And because, you know, with a Supreme Court, they're the highest court in the land, right? They got judicial review. They got the final word on the meaning of the Constitution. If all nine of them were Protestants and they all went to the same school or the same type of school. And they were okay. all the same gender, gender and they were all the same race. Race. 
Okay. How diverse are those opinions? How diverse are those opinions? And moreover, how good is the opinion? How good is the decision? Okay, because at that point, how could they not have an echo chamber? Right. Right? Right. And that's what I'm concerned about, right? I want the highest court in the land to basically leave no stone unturned before they hand down, you know, a significant landmark decision that could impact millions of people. That's what I want, right? right. Okay. Um, you know, you know where I don't want diversity of opinion, okay, is the automobile mechanic that is fixing my engine, okay? <laughs> I, right. I want... There, I, there, I, I want Although to, you want diversity of experience in that mechanic shop, yeah, so that he can turn to someone and say, have y'all ever heard this sound before? Wooga, 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 wooga. No, what the heck is that thing? And they all come over and stare at it, you know, and then somebody says, push that button and see what happens. And they all take a step back and make that guy push the button. Okay, very good. I, that I, I, we I, want. Yeah, I like, I, 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 I like your addendum, right? Because otherwise I want somebody with some confidence that finally says, hey, this shop has agreed, this is your problem, we did this, the problem's fixed, right? right? Okay, but likewise, you know, if, if I go to a hospital and I get a doctor who's like, I don't know why you're feeling that pain. I don't want that doctor to go ahead and just send me home. I want that doctor to go ahead and say, hey, I need to go ahead and talk to so-and-so, okay? Right. Because they diversity have of opinion that, or diversity right. of knowledge. Knowledge, diversity of experience, right? Exactly. Okay. I am okay. positive that that during the Oklahoma case, everybody in the room looked at Neil Gorsuch and said, okay, oh, yeah, what's about, the background? Okay, what's about the background the, on this? Yeah, about the jurisdiction on whether or not Oklahoma could go. Yeah, exactly. The McGurk case, right? Right. Okay, because let's face it. Okay. The rest of all those folks from the East Coast, I'm not trying to be ugly, but the East Coast elite yeah, right? don't know what those issues are. It's helpful to have somebody on the court. That's why we want the court to also represent diversity in geography. Geography, experience. Okay. I wouldn't, okay, I wouldn't mind having somebody who was a corporate lawyer if the Supreme Court is going to get 10, 12, 14 business cases every year. Right. Okay. I, and that person has done this work and understands the ins and outs. Yeah. And, and I know the perception of corporate lawyers. Okay. But nevertheless, I want somebody who can go ahead and explain to me, okay, whether or not the government could regulate this contract that was entered into by five corporations five, from five different nations. Okay. So what we're getting at, is that we like diversity on the court. Oh, sure. You're gonna hear this refrain. Yes. Probably a couple more times this summer. Sorry, yes. sorry, sorry, we're just gonna keep drum beating the, we like diversity on the court. And, um, and we like that right now there is some diversity of religion. So. And I would although, like to see more. I right. would like to see more, right? And again, listeners, okay, full disclosure, I'm Catholic, right? And I'm well aware that historically on the court, okay, um, you know, uh, individuals were not considered to serve on the court because they were Catholic, okay? We know this, right? Um, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, okay, 
the discrimination against Catholics for government service, okay, is or was as stupid or as idiotic in my estimation as any kind of discrimination because somebody might be a Muslim, okay, or a Buddhist, right? I don't care. You know what I care about, okay? Um, can you go ahead and do the job as a judge? Right. Okay. I want two diversity. of our two of our best justices in recent memory, Antonin Scalia, a Catholic, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a Jew. Yes. Right. Like. Yes. And I didn't get the sense in reading their opinions. And yes, as Nia's like to joke, I'm that kind of geek because I pretty much read almost every single one of their opinions. I never got the sense that their religion, okay, unduly influenced right. or harmed their ability to do a to be a judge. Agreed. I just didn't, okay? Um, I don't think either one of them would go ahead and say, well, my faith tells me I have to rule this way. They were both stubborn, intellectually, <laughs> okay, rigorous, okay? And if their religion disagreed with what they thought the law indicated, they would pretty much tell their uh, their religion, see ya, bye-bye, right. okay? Yeah. Right, because that's the best, and, it, and they aren't the only ones, but that's the best way that yes. justices can work is to put, is to silo those two things and say, but I have to do what is just here. Yes. Not necessarily what my my faith may or may not tell me to do. Yeah. Um, and I I also shouldn't say that I I preference those two justices because of their faiths. I don't. Um, I I generally preference those two justices when speaking about justice justices here of recent vintage, is that those two people could make my blood boil faster than pretty much any other justices. Yeah. <laughs> like what? I completely disagree with that. So, uh, so there you go. But um, the, the the rigor, okay, right, of, okay, of all the, the justices, you don't get to that job. The idea that somehow justices are phoning it in. I've I've been hearing that lately about about Justice Thomas, right? Yeah. That Justice Thomas is a terrible justice. Um, okay, no, right. You may not agree, and. By the way, 98.47% of the time, I don't agree with Justice Thomas. But yes, yeah, I don't always agree but with I him. Would, I would not but, say that he is not intellectually rigorous. They are all intellectually rigorous. They are people who's, who are serious about these jobs and who are serious about making the right, the right decision for the, for the people and for the court. I think they're serious people just because we disagree. And it comes back to what we titled this podcast, which is civil discourse. Just because you disagree doesn't mean they are not good people who are trying to do the right thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, I, mean I, I don't we, like several of them, but that doesn't mean they're bad people. No. And it's not that I don't like them personally, because let's face it. I don't know I don't, them. I don't right. know them. Right. I don't I like their like, jurisprudence. Yeah, I don't like their jurisprudence, right? But they have a tough job, okay? And yes, they get paid good money. And yes, they get put on a pedestal. And they have lots but, of perks. Okay, but if somebody went ahead and told me, you know, tomorrow, 
you know, Ayagi, we want you to be on the Supreme Court. Truth be told, I would think long and hard about accepting the nomination because it's a tough job. Well, and because okay? people like us are going to talk about you. And, and I mean, yeah, and it's and, not just us. It's all media, all punditry, all, and know, it will be forever. Ever, right? Okay. You, you're 115 justices, that's all. Yes. And they've all got books written about them. Like <laughs> yeah. somebody has delved into their lives and looked in their closet for skeletons. And you know what I mean? Like that's, uh, what a terrible I job. I mean, for but me, anyway. that would be, and again, we're just doing a podcast episode about their religion. Yeah. Okay? Most people don't really care what my religion is. Okay. Right. I mean, I, I meet people all the time. They're actually pretty shocked when they find out that I am religious. <laughs> right. So, you know, all right. But we can look forward to, we hope, a, an expansion as more presidents have more qualified. And part of that is that um, I, I want to touch on this. I want to touch on this right before we before we close out, which is that presidents can only choose from a certain number of judges at certain levels to become justices. Now, that's not technically true. Technically, they could ask Augie and he could be a justice tomorrow. Well, not really, because there's not an open space. But technically, right, they don't have to do that. But that's not how it works. How it works is that you serve in the judicial system for a while, you end up moving to a district court somewhere. And then you end up being plucked to the to the Supreme Court. They don't just pick people randomly. And so for years, we did not have diversity in in the lower courts. Well, we didn't have people to move up through in order to be to be chosen to the higher courts. You didn't have diversity in law schools. Right. Which which meant you didn't have good point. You didn't have diversity in the legal profession. You didn't have diversity in undergraduate. Yeah. To get to law school, to get to the legal profession. Right. Okay. Which meant the selection for judges was also not going to be diverse. Right. And this, and this takes generations. Um, diversity research, you know, points out that you just, it, when you make a commitment to diversity, it can't be for just a generation. It has to be for multiple. Okay. That is excellent. Well said, because that's okay. true that, you, that we are just now getting to the pipeline where there are women at that level. I mean, Sandra Day O'Connor was ahead of her time. Yes. But we're getting now into the 2000s where women being put on the court is a normalized. It, it's become normalized in part because we have more women who are attorneys. And we're finally at a point to where uh, a majority of uh, law school students are women. Okay. Um, and the and- justices are being groomed groomed right they're groomed for this right i mean this idea that a female attorney okay would want to go ahead and stop a lucrative career to be a judge right i mean that that was a cultural norm right you know why would you do that well now it is it's one of a number of legal career choices you might have right and that and, takes a, and that took a couple generations 
okay, of women in the legal profession. And unfortunately, that's also true for religion. Mm-hmm. Law schools did not welcome. They had quotas uh, on religions okay, many, that were outside. Many, of, yeah, they, they had quotas on how many Catholics would be in their law school classes, how many Jews. Okay. Um, and, and only recently did they go ahead and and um, and have that not necessarily be an issue. Right. Okay. Not be an issue. Right. I mean, so now we're seeing in law schools and in the lower court judgeships, we're seeing Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Sikhs and, and, yes. you know, we're seeing those now and that you're right. That timeline of you have to commit for generations means that in 10 or 15 or 20 years, when those people have served at the district court level for however long, and they are being chosen to go to the Supreme Court, sure. we will see more diversity yes. in yeah. that way. That's an excellent point, Augie. Thank you. Because I had not yeah. I had not put that in, in that order mentally. But that is that now that law schools are more diverse we will begin to see more diversity in the in the judiciary. Yes. Yep. Cool. Thank you. Sure. I enjoyed the conversation. Me um, too. And like, and like I said, it, it is one of the top five questions I get from <laughs> non-academics. Okay. So um, you should just say to people, if you guess Protestant, you're going to be right most of the time. <laughs> Although not lately. <laughs> not lately. <laughs> not lately. <laughs> Cool. Thanks, Augie. Thank you, Neil. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.